0: Welcome to the Wellness and High Performance Podcast with your host, Coach Peter. Wellness is the foundation that unlocks your highest performance both mentally and physically and allows you to enjoy life to its fullest. In each episode, I share bite-sized health, fitness and performance lessons that are going to help you to live your best life. So, put on your shoes, head out of the door and start stepping into your potential. In today's episode, you're going to learn how to measure stress, why you should measure stress, and most importantly, how to improve your resilience to stress. I want to start by saying that you always hear me talking about stress, and oftentimes you come across as stress being a bad thing inherently. And I want to make it very clear that this is in fact untrue, and not all stress is bad, not at all. And in fact, deprivation of stress is very bad for humans because we humans we are an antifragile organism. So, antifragile is a term that's coined by Nicholas Nassim Taleb, and I'm just reading his book right now called The Antifragile. So, I'm absolutely loving this concept so he has a spectrum of things we have things that are fragile we have things that are robust and we have things that are and the fragile things that are fragile they break with stress and they actually get worse with stress so fragile things do not like stress at all then we have robust things which are resilient to stress but they don't get better with stress. You know, they can withstand stress, but they don't get better with it. And finally, we have things that are anti-fragile, meaning that they actually get better with stress. And all biological organisms that have survived to this day, including humans, including you, my friend, we are, and you are, an antifragile organism, meaning that we get better with certain types of stresses that are followed by recovery from that stress. And deprivation of stress, if you don't subject yourself to these types of stresses that are good for you, when you deprive yourself you actually become more fragile. And when you become more fragile well, as I said, fragile things break easily with stress. So this is why the idea of stress resiliency and becoming a more resilient organism. I think it's something that it's it should be the goal, and the goal should be to increase your antifragility as an organism. So, with all that said, it's clear that it's not the the stress itself is is not the problem. It's the type and the magnitude of stress that we experience in our modern world that can be a problem to some people. You know, our bodies have evolved to cope really well with the short-term stresses that are followed by recovery. And on the other hand, chronic stresses like psychological stress from a job that you absolutely hate or whatever else it may be, this is extremely detrimental because you're always under this low level chronic stress response and you never recover from it. So, when it comes to measuring stress, um, it's re- important to understand obviously, stress can be very subjective. You know, what's stressful to you might not be stressful to me, and what I think is the worst thing in the world might be completely nothing to someone else. So, stress can be very subjective. So that is why I think it can be absolutely invaluable to objectively quantify the stress levels that your body is under and your system. Objectively quantify the stress that your system is under. And thanks to technology we can actually do this very easily these days. And we have three measurements that are actually pretty easy to get if you just have certain pieces of technology and we'll go through each one of them. And each one of these gives direct, very valuable feedback of the stress levels of your system. You know, not just how stressed you feel, but actually how stressed your body is. So, the first and the best non-invasive measurement that we have of the stress levels of your body and of the state of your autonomic nervous system is HRV. So HRV stands for Heart Rate Variability. Heart rate variability is a measure of variation between subsequent heartbeats. And the amount of variation between the subsequent heartbeats, this is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. And if you're not familiar with the autonomic nervous system yet, I would highly recommend you to go and listen to the episode number two on how to build stress tolerance, because I go very, very deep into the autonomic nervous system in that episode. But for now, I'll just explain that the autonomic nervous system is the part of the nervous system that is responsible for involuntary bodily functions, things that take place without your conscious control, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your breathing, your... Hormone secretions, your defecation, your fluid, your digestion All these things that are humming along and that are happening at all points in time but you don't control consciously All thi- these things are controlled by your autonomic nervous system The autonomic nervous system then is subdivided into two different branches So we have the sympathetic, also known as the fight or flight state of the autonomic nervous system And then we have the parasympathetic rest and digest state of the autonomic nervous system. When you're in a state of fight or flight, your body prioritizes short-term survival and your immediate survival. So things like digestion, you know, all the repair processes inside your body, these things stop and instead resources go towards improving your physical performance. So improving your physical performance, it means that your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up. You stop digesting food, you get more blood from the stomach, goes into your arms and into your legs. Anything that can happen to improve your physical performance, that takes place. And on the flip side, when you're in a state of rest and digest, now it's not about your immediate physical survival. Now it's about your long-term health and your long-term survival. So now you're producing sex hormones, you're recovering from all the activity that you've done, and you are in a systemic state of recovery and rejuvenation. And it's very important to spend majority of our lives in this state of rest and digest. So, I said that the heart rate variability is a measure of variation between the subsequent heartbeats, and heart rate variability gives us an indication of which one of these states, either the fight or flight state or the rest and digest state, which one of these is dominating. So when we have low amount of variation between subsequent heartbeats, meaning you have low heart rate variability number, this is a sign of an overactive fight-or-flight response. So this is a sign that your body is under a lot of stress. That What that does is that the heart is going to beat more like a metronome, and the heartbeat is very... Regular And this might sound like it's, oh, that's good, a regular heartbeat, that's a good thing. But actually it's not, because if the heartbeat is very regular, if there's no variation between heartbeats, it is a sign that your autonomic nervous system is under a lot of stress and it's doing a lot of work to control what your heart is doing. On the other hand, high amount of variability, when your heart rate variability number is high, when there's a lot of variability between the subsequent heartbeats, this is a sign of a balanced autonomic nervous system and that you're, you are in a in rested state. And this is because now the autonomic nervous system doesn't feel threatened. It's not under stress. And because it's not under stress, it doesn't actively control what the heart is doing. So therefore, there's more variation between... The subsequent heartbeats. The goal, in my in my opinion, the goal in life should be anti fragility and should be resilience. And how it relates to this, the goal is autonomic autonomic nervous system flexibility. The ability to go from a state of low arousal, being very relaxed, to going extremely high levels of arousal very quickly. That is autonomic flexibility. When you're flexible, you, for example, it's very easy for you. To, you, can, you just turn it on. Boom! I'm ready to run through the wall. You know, you're ready to run through the wall. You can achieve levels of high heart rate and very high arousal very, very quickly. And you can maintain it. You're not going to get zapped. And then, when you're done, boom, relax. Just as quickly as you're able to turn yourself up, you can actually calm yourself down. And you can truly relax your body very, very quickly after you stop your training session. How long does it take before you can calm down your breathing? How long does it take before you want to eat food again? You know, How long does it take before you get saliva back into your mouth? How easy it is for you to sleep at nighttime, how easy it is for you to wind down at nighttime. These are all signs of high autonomic flexibility and high heart rate variability. That is the goal. You know, on the flip side, if you're inflexible and if you're when your heart rate variability is low, now you're unable to achieve levels of high arousal and you're also unable to achieve levels of low arousal. So you're kind of stuck in the middle, you know, you're stuck in this semi-stressed out state. You know, when you try to exercise, you're not going to be able to achieve very high levels of heart rate, or you might, but you, the thing is that you're not going to be able to sustain that for any length of time. You're going to feel exhausted, you're just going to get zapped very, very easily. Then on the flip side, it'll take you a really long time to sort of calm down after your exercise. You're going to remain toughed up for a long time. And at night time, it's going to be difficult for you to calm down. It's going to be difficult for you to achieve great, deep quality sleep. So to recap that, the goal is autonomic flexibility. And the loss of autonomic flexibility, low level of heart rate variability, you're kind of stuck in the middle so we don't want that uh, ideally we want the hrv heart rate variability to be as high as possible and it really changes with age so when you're younger when you're an athlete you're going to have closer to the hundreds and sometimes even above hundreds it's a pretty good score for heart rate variability and for you know as you get older you can expect your heart rate variability number to drop even if you're really healthy and even if you're really active and then you know if you're chronically stressed out if your body is very unhealthy you're going to see the heart rate variability number of like you know 20 below 40 something like that so you definitely want to bring it up from there so how do you measure hardware variability well we have many variables, you know, we have the Aura Ring, one that I'm wearing, which also records my, my sleep quality at night time. There's a thing called Whoop Strap. Um, these things actually measure it for you, without you having to do anything. It'll tell me in the morning, I open my phone, it'll tell me in the app, oh, your heart variability at, at night time was, was such and such. If you don't have that, you can also use a regular chest strap, you know, one like I have a Polar, polar H10, which is a really common one, and I think some of the other Polar chest traps do this too. So you can hook it up to this app called the Elite HRV. And with the Elite HRV app and with the heart rate monitor on, you can actually do a real-time measurement. Of your heart rate variability. So that is a very accurate measurement, and that is actually a really high quality measurement compared to sometimes these variables that we have like Apple Watch or other wrist-worn devices, sometimes they claim that they measure these things, but they're actually it's a little bit questionable as to how accurate they are. So with all this said, I said that it's good to we're looking to have heart rate, heart rate variability. But with that, I want to offer you this. So I'm, very, I'm someone who's very serious about my training and I take my training very, very seriously. And I've been doing it for such a long time that if I want to get any better when it comes to my strength, I need to put some significant stress onto my body. When you're just beginning, you don't need to do much and you're gonna get better. But when you've been doing this stuff for a while, when you've been doing this stuff for years, if you want to keep progressing, you need to progressively put your body through more and more stress. So with that said, I'm actually looking forward for my heart rate variability to drop within the course of a training cycle. You know, when I start my training cycle, My body should be pretty rested. I've just probably taken a deload week. My heart rate variability should be high. My body is in a state where my stress tolerance is high and my physical preparedness is going to be really good. And then as I go through my training cycle and I put my body through some serious stress so that I can actually keep getting better, I'm expecting to see my heart rate variability to drop. And if my heart rate variability wouldn't drop within the course of a training cycle, you know, by the time week three, week four, week six rolls around, week five, week six, if my heart rate variability is not dropping, I'm not pushing it hard enough. So that means that this becomes a really valuable tool for me to see that is my training actually hard enough? And is my training actually doing what it's supposed to be doing? and I'm expecting to see my hardware variability drop and then I'm expecting to see it to bounce back up again when I deload, when I reduce my training volume and intensity when I allow full recovery to take place before the next training phase starts. So that's how you can really use hardware variability as a really valuable tool. But the thing is that you really have to start with, start measuring it first. So the second measurement that we have of your stress levels, that is a very easily accessible measurement by the way, is your resting heart rate. So resting heart rate is, firstly, we're going to talk about the fact that it is a sign of good cardiorespiratory fitness, or bad, depending on your heart rate. So low resting heart rate is a sign of good aerobic and cardiorespiratory fitness, and high resting heart rate is a sign of low aerobic and cardiorespiratory fitness, and paying attention to your resting heart rate is extremely, extremely important for for a lot of reasons. So there's a really interesting model that some bio, few biologists have proposed, and it is that all mammals seem to get about one billion heartbeats, and once they've gone through their one billion heartbeats, they die. So, both we have the elephant and we have the shoe, and the shoe is a small mouse. Both of these are going to get about 1 billion heartbeats and then they're going to die. The difference is that the shrew lives about 2 to 3 years. On the flip side, the elephant lives about 60 to 70 years. You know, blue whale lives up to 80 to 90 years Um, giant tortoise might live up to 120 years humans can live to above 100 years the difference is how quickly your heart is beating so you get about the same amount of heartbeats but the difference is that with all these different sizes of animals the smaller the animal the faster heart it's going to beat and then the larger the animal the slower it heart is going to be. So it's going to take longer time to go through your allocated amount of heartbeats that you have on this planet. And I should say that we have some good news for you because because of improved food quality, because of medicine, because, because of many, many other things. Humans, we can actually on average to get about 2 billion heartbeats. You know, 2 billion heartbeats, that's pretty good compared to 1 billion heartbeats, but still, the clock is ticking every minute. Every minute you're going through your allocated heartbeats. And this can be a pretty wild idea when you think of it like this. So this is another reason why you know not all stress is bad for you. Because when you stress your cardiorespiratory system through physical activity, the system is going to adapt and it's going to become more efficient at the job. Of providing your cells with oxygen and because the system is more efficient the pump aka your heart has to beat less frequently so almost paradoxically it is only by stressing yourself with physical activity and going through a period of high heart rate when you exercise that is the only way how you can actually lower your resting heart rate. And it's the resting heart rate that really, really matters when it comes to how long is it going to take for you to go through your allocated number of heartbeats on this planet. So, you know, like we're starting to see the argument of... Some people have said that, you know, aerobic training is for wimps and aerobic training is for pussies. We can start to see how absolutely wrong that is. And if someone ever tells you again that you shouldn't train your aerobic f- fitness or your cardiorespiratory system because you're going to lose your muscles or whatever, they are a complete idiot and they have actually absolutely zero idea about what they're talking about. So not only are you are going to live longer, but here's the thing, when your aerobic fitness is higher, you're going to recover faster from training. When you recover faster from training, you can train more and you're able to tolerate more stress and you're able to tolerate more training volume anyway. So just a bit of a thing to keep in mind. If you ever hear that, Someone says suggests to you that aerobic training is not worth it and you shouldn't worry about training your, your lungs, your heart and your fitness, tell them to go somewhere. They are absolutely full of crap. So heart, resting heart rate is also a fantastic tool to track your stress levels. But there's a requires for you to know what your baseline is. You know, let's say my average resting heart rate for myself, sometimes at night time, it's in the low 40s. And if I go through my training cycle, my system is under a little bit more stress. Or let's say I'm getting a little bit sick and my system is under more stress. I'm expecting to see my resting heart rate to increase. And when I see that increased resting heart rate, I can look and I'll be like, wow, I'm really under a bit of a stress response right now compared to my... My baseline and even things like if I lose sleep even one night of lost sleep I can tell you my resting heart rate it shoots up like six eight points and sometimes even more if you have a couple of nights of bad sleep consecutively it'll go up 10 to 15 points your resting heart rate how many beats your heart takes in a minute that is crazy and I think that's why this could be so valuable for you to pay attention to these numbers so that you can really see objectively how your lifestyle is impacting the actual the amount of stress that your system is under. So, what is a good resting heart rate? Well, any, anything between 40 and 60 is absolutely fantastic, regardless of your age. Anything between 60 to 75-ish, depending on your age, that is pretty, you know, it's, it's considered average. And then anything above 75, 80, 85, 90, that is pretty average. That is pretty, pretty poor. And you should work your way. You should try to improve your aerobic fitness and your cardiorespiratory fitness to try to bring your heart rate, resting heart rate down to the, you know, below 60. That would be a fantastic goal for anyone, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender. So, how do you track resting heart rate? Well, luckily, this, usually the same devices that give you your heart rate variability measurements give you your resting heart rate measurements. You know, the Oura Ring, the Whoop Strap, some of the Apple Watches, and the Polar, heart, polar H10 heart rate monitor. These are some fantastic tools. You can also measure your resting heart rate with, blood, with a blood pressure monitor one of those Omron blood pressure monitors that you can get for about $100 from a chemist or wherever you... chemist or pharmacy depending what you call it around the world. You can get it for about $100 and this is a really, really valuable device because it gives you absolutely invaluable information about your health very, very easily. And this is a fantastic segue to our last objective measurement for your stress levels, which is going to be your blood pressure. You know, one of the things that happens when your stress response is elevated and your body shifts into the state of fight or flight is that your blood pressure increases so that you can push blood faster around your body to improve your physical performance. And a good testament as to just how important this measurement is is to think back to the last time you went to the doctor's office. What's the first thing that happens when you walk in through the door? Boom! Before you have even set your bum down on the chair, the blood pressure cuff is already in your arm. And that's just because if the doctor can see your blood pressure and if they can see your resting heart rate, they will be instantly able to determine how urgent the appointment is going to be. So, it's crazy to me that a lot of people know exactly the pressure of air in their tires, in their cars, but they have no idea about their blood pressure and this is just absolutely insane to me. Omron blood pressure monitors are absolutely, totally invaluable. They are about $100, depending on where you live. Just go and buy one and just start measuring it regularly. You know, it might be once a week, you know, at the same... It's best to do all these measurements, by the way. This is a good point that goes for each one of these measurements. Because you want to be comparing apples to apples. It's really important that you measure at the same time of the day with the same, you know, have you just been to the toilet or not? Have you eaten or not? You want, you want to minimize the noise because all these things might influence your, you know, your results. You're going to have a different result and different blood pressure if you just had a double espresso versus if you've just done a meditation session. So this is why measuring first thing in the morning, when there's as little noise as possible, you know, go and do your Wii, and then after you've done your Wii, you put on your measurement gear, and you measure things. And you might do it once a week, on the same day of the week, and then track your averages over time to see which way you are gone. So now that we know we know that heart rate variability, we know resting heart rate, we know blood pressure. We know that these are very, very important measurements of your stress levels. You know, we want to have high heart rate variability. We want to have resting heart rate, anything between 70 and 60, and ideally below 60 is where you want to be. And blood pressure, you want to be about 120 and above 80. So 120 slash 80. 80 and that's below that number sorry so you want your blood pressure to be below 120 80 so the question then becomes how do we improve them how do we improve these numbers how do we increase our heart rate variability how do we lower our resting heart rate and our blood pressure in essence the answer to these questions is also the answer to the question how do you improve your stress tolerance, how do you improve your anti-fragility as an organism? And the overarching answer to this question is that you can only improve your stress tolerance and your anti-fragility by stressing yourself and then recovering from it. These kinds of stressors that are positive to the body they include any kind of exercise where your aerobic system is challenged, You know, your heart rate is elevated for an extended period of time. That is good for you. Resistance training, lifting weights, that's fantastic for you. Temperature is also one of these stresses that elicits positive responses from your body. Extreme cold, cold showers. Saunas, you know, it's it's not a sauna, by the way, it's a sauna. And don't worry, I'll be making a future episode of the sauna in, in the near future. So we have aerobic exercise, we have lifting weights, we have cold showers, saunas, ice exposure. We also have carbon dioxide tolerance, challenging breathing exercises. These are all stresses that are going to... Elicit positive responses from your body as long as you recover from them. So, when you've stressed yourself, now you need to recover. How do you recover? You sleep. You know, seven to nine hours of as great quality sleep as possible, diaphragmatic breathing exercises, meditation, supportive nutrition, sunlight, laughing spending time in nature, spending time with your friends and family, all these are things that are going to accelerate recovery and they are going to increase heart rate variability, they're going to lower resting heart rate and they're going to lower your blood pressure. So it is only through you got to go back and forth, you got to stress your system with the right types of stress, we got to go into deep into the state of fight or flight and then we got to come out of there, we got to relax your system and we got to incorporate this wellness promoting recovery steps that you can do in your daily life and it's only through this kind of teeter-totter when you go from one extreme to the other extreme it's only then When you can truly be as healthy as you can be and you can truly unlock your best performance both mentally and physically. And the avoidance of that when you deprive yourself of these extremes. If you're always in a level of low chronic stress response and you never go into the extremes and you never allow yourself to truly recover. Well, that is when we get into the conversation of how does stress make humans sick. That is when the system and you become fragile and that is when things start breaking down. Remember, stress breaks fragile things. So, if you want to become as anti-fragile as possible, the best way to take action on what you've learned today is to get started with the Breathing Foundations program. The program has exercises both to stress you out and to teach you how to truly recover. We have exercises that stress your carbon dioxide tolerance and your aerobic fitness. And we have exercises that teach you how to relax your body with a couple of minutes of deep diaphragmatic breathing. Not only that, but we also have tools that are going to improve your movement, your sleep quality your nasal breathing ability and reduce the risk of snoring and obstructive sleep apnea. We also have tools that are going to improve the muscle tone of your face and your neck muscles. The best part, honestly, about all these tools is that you don't need any equipment for them. You can practice them when you're watching TV, you can practice them when you're in a public transfer, for example. And for me, discovering all these tools, it has been absolutely life transforming and I can't help to think sometimes that gee I wish someone had taught me this stuff when I was like five or ten years old like so much unnecessary suffering would have been avoided in my life but as the saying goes the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is today so if you're ready if you want to plant that tree And if you want to be able to pass these things on to someone else in your life, head over to coachbooter.com slash foundations and get started from today. I'm going to put the link below into the show notes as well. If you found this episode useful, please leave me a rating and a review and share this episode with at least one other person who you want to see to live their life to its fullest. Thank you so much for listening. This is Coach Puder. Let's do this.